Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to yet another installment. Now I realize with all the TV shows and uh, upcoming uh, conference talks and stuff like that, there's a lot of new listeners tuning into the show. So I thought I'd take a quick second to kind of introduce the show to those new listeners and kind of give a brush up for those that have been listening for quite a while. My name is Derek Hayes, and this is Monsters Among Us, and we're about to take you on a ride. Each week, this show features 6 to 10 authentic listener-submitted stories, with subjects ranging from Bigfoot, aliens, to ghosts, doppelgangers, and UFOs. Now, to the best of my knowledge, each and every call that I play is true and genuine. So, that is Monsters Among Us in a nutshell. And without further ado... Let's demonstrate a little of how it works right now. Our first call of the evening comes to us from my state of California. The following was submitted by David. Hello, my name is David. I'm from Orange County, California. And I have a story that happened about six or seven years ago. It's about some sewer spirits. Anyways, uh, I have two stories about something I saw and heard in a particular park in Orange County. Um, This park always had kind of a creepy feeling to it, especially at night. And me and my group of friends would just hang out down there because we were bored, we were broke. We didn't really have much, anything else to do. Anyways, this park has a lot of trees in it and uh, it also has a large like storm drain tunnel you know like it's not really a sewer it's more of a storm drain tunnel and it's really large and a full-size adult can walk inside of it you know we used to just go in there kind of explore you know look around just hang out it was really hot outside so we just go in there and it's cooler in there anyways so one day one day it was daytime we were walking down to this tunnel and i saw these two little kids on the edge of like this creek that would lead into this big tunnel. There was like a boy and a girl and they're just hunched over, like looking into the river. They were about 20 feet away from me, I'd say. Anyways, so I turned around. I kind of, they looked, they caught my eye and I just turned around, thought they were just kids. And then I looked back and they weren't even there and they just disappeared, just vanished. And uh, that was just really strange. I asked my friend, I was like, do you see those kids? 
And he said, yeah, it did. I'm like, I don't know what happened to him. I'm like, that was weird. We just brushed it off. So anyways, we just kept visiting this park over the summer, over the summer months. And one time we went inside this tunnel and I had this little app on my phone called Ghost Radar. I think it's still out there, still probably on the app market. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's just a little radar and it's just a toy and it'll show you like a red orb or a green orb that might be close to you. And then, you know, supposedly ghosts can use your phone to generate a word at a time in order to speak to you. So I thought it'd be funny and we just loaded it up and we started asking questions. And one question was like, you know, what's your name? And it said, Ray. And we all just kind of looked at each other like, well, that's pretty weird. So anyways, we kept asking the same questions and we said, why are you here? Uh, where did you come from? And it, you know, one word at a time, it said mission. And then it said ranch. And then that was it. And we're like, well, okay, that's kind of weird. And uh, we made a connection because, you know, Southern California, most of California is known for our missions, the Catholic missions. And Orange County in particular had a lot of haciendas and ranches in the 1800s and late 1900s. So that was pretty weird. It could have been a coincidence. And maybe we just made that connection. And uh, that kind of freaked us out. But anyways, we kept asking questions. It didn't say anything. And then a couple of minutes later, it said storm and then run. And so that freaked us out. So we decided, all right, let's get out of here. So we started walking out of the tunnel. And now it's starting to be uh, like around five o'clock. It's getting dark. So we're heading out of the tunnel. We've been in there for probably about an hour. And so we're heading out. And uh, as we're walking out, I hear a really loud whisper in my ear that said, hey. And I turned around and looked at my two friends behind me and said, did you guys say anything? And they said, no. And I said, did you hear that? And one of my friends said, yeah, I just heard it. And I was like, what did you hear? And he said, hey. And I said, yeah, that's what I heard too. So now we're really freaked out. So we run out of the tunnel and we're making the walk back to the entrance of the park. And when we're walking, it starts to rain. And so again, you know, that we get a little freaked out. We're like, oh, the app told us it was going to rain and the storm, the storm and the run. And now it's raining. And we're like a little freaked out about that. And uh, so, yeah, we left and we went back down there. I never had really anything else happen. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting, weird story. And I forgot all about it until uh, recently. Unfortunately, a, a body of a young girl was found in that park. And uh, she committed suicide. And then uh, it was on the news, the local news. And then all these memories kind of came back to me. Anyways, I just wanted to say, again, that when both of these incidents happened, we weren't under the influence of any drugs or alcohol, or anything like that. We are completely stone-cold sober. And, uh, yeah, just weird, interesting story I thought I'd share. Um, again, thank you for your show. I always enjoy listening to it at work. Thanks for your time. All right, bye. Thank you, David. Now, coincidentally, I also heard a disembodied voice once say, Hey, this happened shortly after Sarah and I moved into our first apartment together. I had just woken up and was laying in bed, trying to muster up the courage to get up. And clear as day, next to my side of the bed, I heard a voice abruptly say, <sighs> And oddly enough, there was no other 
odd activity that we experienced in that apartment, other than astronomically high rent and terrible neighbors. Thank you again, David, for taking the time to share your story. Moving right along here, we're going to head up to the state of Idaho. The following was submitted by Katie. Hi, um, my name's Katie. Um, I live in Idaho. I'm originally from Michigan, and that's where this story actually takes place. Um, I was 11 years old, and I had just I just talked to my brother about this to make sure that he remembered it without telling him what I was getting at. So here it goes. We lived in this place called Elma in this nice trailer in a nicer trailer park, and there was nothing really weird about it. We saw it when we moved in. We lived there for about a year before some odd things started happening. I had the big bedroom down near the end, and my brother had one slightly down the hall, and between us was the linen closet and the bathroom. Now, a few nights I would wake up, no particular reason I thought, I would wake up and I would hear the linen closet door open and slam. And I thought it was my brother. But then I realized that Right after that, I heard his door creak open because our parents made us sleep with the doors closed in case of a fire. I heard his door creak open, and then I heard him run down the hall. And he came into my room. He flipped on the light, and he was all pale and sweaty. And he looked at me and like, Katie, was that you? And I lied. I said, yeah, Nick, it was me. Come on, you can, you can sleep in my bottom bunk. And so he did. That happened. I don't know how many times that happened. But it was regular enough that my mom wondered why my brother was sleeping in my bedroom. Um, a few other weird things happened in the house, like my mom and I would be doing chores in the kitchen, I'd be doing the dishes, she'd be sleeping, and a cup flew across the room. The windows weren't open, neither of us had touched it, it had been sitting on the table, and I just remember it was green, I remember it just flying across the room. My mom and I looked at each other, kind of giggled nervously, and just went back to what we were doing. This is also the house where I sleptwalk a lot. And if it would just been me, I'd have been like, well, maybe it was just my imagination. When I sleptwalk, I would, I would deliberately open the front door, just the front door. I would unlock it and open it. And then I would go back to bed. And I didn't remember doing it. And one night my mom stayed up and she saw me do it. Just open the door. And I remember dreaming about doors. But, you know, kids who sleepwalk, they don't remember doing it she woke me up and after she woke me up I never slept walk again strange things kept happening in that house until we moved out a few years later nothing bad nobody got any strange bruises or anything but just these things opening where they shouldn't slamming moving anyway love the podcast and I look forward to listening to more episodes too thanks Thank you, Katie. You said something interesting there, talking about the sleepwalking. Now, this is something that I've never thought of and obviously never put two and two together. But you'd mentioned that the only time you've ever done any sleepwalking was while you lived in this potentially haunted house. That has me wondering if there's a correlation there. Now, this is simply me spitballing here, but could sleepwalking somehow be... Uh, influenced by a spirit or influenced by an entity. I don't really have any evidence or 
even anecdotal evidence to support this other than what Katie has said here in her call, but it is something that's certainly triggered some interest in me. I'm going to do a bit of research, and if any of the listeners out there actually know of any correlation between sleepwalking and paranormal activity, uh, please shoot me an email, let me know. Now, there may be absolutely nothing to this, but the other side of the coin, we may have just uncovered something. Thank you again, Katie, for taking the time to share that inspirational call. So what do you say we change things up a bit here? Let's move on from the ghosts and ghouls. Maybe investigate a little spook-a-light action. The following story comes to us from Frankie in the state of New Hampshire. Hi, Derek. This is Frankie. I'm calling from New Hampshire. I have a story that happened back in the mid-80s, probably around 86. This happened where I grew up in upstate New York. It was a summer day. It was a bright day. I remember that. And we were at my cousin's house, the the family was, and there was kind of a backyard barbecue hangout thing going on. And everyone was behind the house. And I happened to be, for some reason, alone on the side of the house doing whatever I was doing, just walking around or whatever. And I happened to, when I looked up, I saw this light, which which was strange because it was such a bright sunny day, but this light was very bright and it was moving. It was headed directly at me. I'd never seen anything like this before. The best way to describe it is it was a cylinder, probably I would guess about two feet in length and maybe, you know, six inches, you know, cylinder shape. And it was moving at a pretty good speed parallel with the ground probably about four feet off the ground and headed directly at me i didn't even have time to think about moving or anything i was just what is this thing and it came at me um, went kind of beside me like it was a foot away that it passed me and by the time i turned around it, it must have already gone into the woods because there was woods behind the house and i i tried to figure out what that was it didn't make any noise um, i didn't feel anything when it went by me but it was and as it traveled also it was flipping end to end like spinning as it traveled very parallel very straight like it had a direct path so i didn't say anything to anybody because i couldn't figure out what i had seen and i i didn't think they would believe me uh, i was a teenager at the time and so i i kind of you know just thought about it for a while and kind of went on my way and come to find out um i'd moved away later as i um, got older and about 10 years later i had gone home to upstate new york again to to visit family and i was having dinner with brother and his wife and we were just chatting about things and they told me um we've got to tell you something that happened to us recently i said what was that and they said you know we were driving home at night and the roads up there it's not very heavily populated back road, trees on both sides, there's no streetlights or anything, and they said they were driving home, and they saw coming from the other direction this light, and they said it was moving pretty fast, and they thought it was a motorcycle because it was a single light, and as that got closer, they could see that it was spinning, and they went on to describe exactly what I had seen, and they said it came directly at them and went, like, right over top of their car and kept going, and they described it exactly as I remembered what I had seen, and I told them that, and, you know, it had been 10 years since my experience, and 
none of us, the three of us, could even begin to figure out what it could have been. But I thought it was interesting that it was in the same general area. So if you have any ideas or if there's anybody listening that might know what that could be or has seen something similar, I'd really like to hear it. So um, thanks a lot. I hope you um, are interested in that story. Uh, I just started listening to your podcast. I really like it. I hope to hear more interesting stuff. Have a great one. Bye. Thank you, Frankie. This story reminds me of a tall tale, we'll call it, that I remember reading about in college. You see, I went to school in Northwest Ohio. And for those of you that live in Ohio or from Ohio and have interest in the paranormal, you may be aware of a book series known as Haunted Ohio. Essentially, it's a three-book series, I believe it's three books, full of short stories from around the state. And I remember being in college, new to the area, as I grew up in southeast Ohio. New to the area, I busted out these books and said, oh, I'll do some investigating. And that's when I discovered the Headless Motorcyclist of Elmore. For more on one of my favorite paranormal stories, the following clip was taken from Tanya Schauwecker on YouTube. A long time ago in Elmore, Ohio, not too far from here, the legend of the Headless Ghost Rider began. According to many, the legend is absolutely true and goes something like this. Back during World War I, a young man and woman were devastated to hear that the man was drafted and would soon ship off to the front lines. The couple said their goodbyes, promising each other that their love would endure the miles apart. The soldier kissed and hugged her goodbye and left for more than three long years. The young soldier endured relentless battles against the enemy. He held his best friend in his arms after their entire platoon was ambushed and they were the only survivors. After completing his tour, the young soldier was honorably discharged and made his way back to Elmore. He bought a new motorcycle and took off to surprise his love, believing that she would still be waiting to become his bride, even though they had no communication for three years. When the soldier arrived at the old farmhouse, he walked up on the porch and looked through the window. Instead of finding her waiting for him, he found her in the arms of another man. Distraught and devastated, the soldier tore down the long gravel driveway. He rounded the corner at a high rate of speed and lost control as he crossed Mud Creek Bridge. The motorcycle careened over the side of the bridge, killing the soldier instantly. When the authorities arrived, they found his body and the motorcycle torn to pieces, including the soldier's decapitated head. Years later, the only remaining piece of the old farmhouse is an overgrown lane, but the headless ghost rider continues to visit his love on the same day every year, his tortured soul reliving the night his heart was broken for eternity. On March 21st, if you go to Mud Creek Bridge in Elmore, park your car on the bridge, flash your lights three times, and honk your horn three times, the light of the headless ghost rider will again fly down the old drive, round the corner, and disappear on the bridge. Do this with caution, though. Those who experienced it have never been the same. Some say that the soldier isn't particularly kind to young men who come to see his beloved. Of course, you can find a link to that video in the show notes for tonight's episode. 
Naturally, on March 21st, in several years while I was in school, I made the trek to Elmore, which was maybe 20 minutes from school. Each time I left, highly disappointed. Unfortunately, it seemed, the motorcyclist took those days off. Of course, that doesn't keep me from thoroughly enjoying this story. Thank you again, Frankie, for taking the time to share yours. And I highly recommend you check out the Haunted Ohio series, even if you're not from Ohio. There's tons of great stories included in that book series. All right, for our next call, we're headed back to the Pacific Northwest. The following comes to us from Dan in the state of Oregon. Hey, Derek and Monsters listeners. This is Dan from Oregon again. And even though I'm uh, losing my voice, I wanted to call in because I just heard um, a segment on Season 7, Episode 2, after finally catching up with all of the middle episodes. Anyway, um, a caller related a story about, I think he said it was his great-grandfather, who was a very hateful man, and they tried to get him to repent and come to the Lord before he died, and he refused and said something about, uh, it's time, I guess it's time for me to go with that old dog or something like that. Heard barking outside, saw the dog outside, and then he died right when they saw the dog. And you said that that came up, Derek, you said that that came, uh, brought up something in your mind, and it definitely brought up something in my mind as well. A story from when I was growing up, a very respected, larger, local ranch-owning family told this story a lot, and uh, one of the younger sons was really close friends with my stepdad, and the whole family told this story, but he told this story a lot. Anyway, his grandfather and grandmother apparently were very, very close soulmate sort of people, and she passed away before him, which, as we know, is the more rare of the situations when it comes to relationships, the women dying before the man. Quite sad. And anyway, um, her request was to have her body cremated, so they did that. And at the um, reception afterwards, uh, celebration of life, whatever you want to call it, there's a family's gathered around him. Essentially, he said, uh, everybody's always known that I can't live without this woman. And uh, basically, I love you all and goodbye. He opened the urn dumped the ashes over the top of his head and died on the spot. Uh, like I said, the whole family told that story forever and ever, and uh, it might seem sad because of death or whatever, but I wanted to share it because I always thought it was one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard. Keep up the good work, everybody, and uh, hopefully all of us find that kind of love someday. Take care. Thank you, Dan. I agree. That is beautiful. It's also intriguing. I can't help but wonder, how did the man die on cue? Do we have that ability? Is that something that we're each ingrained with? The ability to know when it's time and simply flip that switch. And there's also something to be said about a broken heart. Anyone that's familiar with the history of tragedy, shipwrecks, disease, famine, that sort of thing, they can all quickly tell you that the number of people that have died of a said broken heart is quite high. And as tragic as that may be, as Dan said, there's something beautiful and peaceful about it. So thank you, Dan, for taking the time to share that not so much scary, but certainly intriguing story. 
Alright folks, it's that time of the evening. I'm going to hit up a few announcements. For you Patreon supporters, this weekend is your lucky weekend. The Paranormal News of April episode will be dropping most likely Sunday evening. So keep an eye out for that. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber, simply visit www.patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast. A $4 monthly pledge gets you access to not only two new episodes a month, but all the back catalog as well. And a huge thank you to all those that have already contributed. As I teased last week, the new t-shirt design is about a week away from unveiling. I'm getting everything locked down and getting ready to place that order. So if you're looking for some new t-shirts, now's a good time. And for those of you that have been asking me about the Mirrored Men shirts, those will be coming back as well. Uh, Probably at the end of this month, I'll be placing that order. And of course, I am still working on the sweatshirt pre-order. If you have a story to share, please call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now keep in mind, I'm now accepting uh, Hometown Legend submissions for the Season 7 finale. So if you have one of those to submit, now is a great time. And if you could, please mention early on in the call that this is for the Hometown Legends segment. That way it makes it a lot easier for me to pull those calls from the hundreds that I receive monthly. And the last thing I'd like to touch on is I've received a handful of emails over the past couple weeks about uh, whispering voices in the background of the show. I am aware of this, and it is part of the background music by Coag Music that I use. From time to time, he seems to sprinkle in some, uh, I guess, creepy whispers and stuff like that. It's extremely effective, but a lot of people have caught it. And I'll say it's very observant of you guys to have caught that. But that's what it is. It's simply background music. Now, I do my best to try to cut that out, but the show is an hour long, and sometimes I miss a clip or two here and there. So my apologies, but if you hear anything strange in the background, it's most likely part of the background music. All right. What do you guys say we get into the back end of this? To kick that off, our first call comes to us from the state of Illinois. The following is Raphael's call. Hey Derek, how you doing? This is Raphael from Chicago. Uh, I love your podcast, man. Keep it up. I'm a Lyft driver and my passengers love it. Anyways, I wanted to call you tell you the story that happened to me and a friend. Uh, I grew up in Puerto Rico in the Caribbean. Me and my friend from high school used to go surfing all the time. We used to get up at three in the morning, drive to the other side of the island, surf for an hour or two, and then drive back into the city, make it in time for school. So this one morning, we stayed up all night and we left at 3 a.m. to the other side of the island. And we got there a little bit early. And we're, we're, we're driving up to this secluded beach that is part of an abandoned Air Force base. And, um, and we get there right before sunrise. So because neither of us felt very comfortable surfing in the dark, we decided to wait a few minutes for the sun to come up then we would paddle out into the water. We were parked on one of the ends of a half moon bay and a bluff overlooking the bay. 
Now, there was no moon that night. It was very dark. And as we were waiting there for the sun to come up, I, I got to confess, we, we lit up a joint. And we're smoking. But as soon as we lit up the joint, this huge light, the size of maybe four or five full moons, this thing was huge, suddenly lit up. And illuminated the entire Half Moon Bay, which was probably like half a mile. It started at the far end of the Half Moon Bay. It hovered over the bay up until it came right above us. And when it was right above us, that's when I could tell how really incredibly big this thing was. It stayed there for like two seconds, completely quietly, silently. No noise, no anything. It illuminated us for a couple of minutes, and then it turned off, poof, and it was gone. And the stars were came back out, and it was freaky and creepy like nothing. Me and my friend were speechless. And granted, we had just driven almost two hours to the other side of the island. We look at each other. We turned the joint off. We had barely smoked a couple of drives each, and without saying a word, we pulled out and drove the two hours back to San Juan without surfing that day. That's how freaked out we were. Now, a comment I would like to add is this thing was huge. I mean, this thing was enormous, and it did not make a single sound. And it, it, it radiated such a luminous light that it lit up the entire beach. It was like having not sun out, but it was so bright out. It just freaked us out. Anyways, I have a couple of other stories and different things and that you cover, different themes that you cover in your show, and I might call back and tell you some of them. But this being my one UFO story that I can honestly say I can't explain it any other way, but something that was not man-made. I mean, and, and remember, I, I forgot to tell you, I'm almost 50 years old. This was in 1986. Now, back then, I it didn't seem like anything that was possible with the technology we had back then, especially because it was so quiet and it was so huge. Anyways, that's my story. I hope you can use it. Keep up the good work, my man. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Raphael. And thank you so much for sharing the show with your passengers. I can only imagine what they think when they unexpectedly hear some of these phone calls. And also, Raphael, you called in with a footprint story a few weeks back. Incredible story, but unfortunately, it was cut off. So if you could resubmit that story, I'd love to play it on the air. Thank you for submitting that. And I gotta say, you're right. 1986, Puerto Rico... It does lend a little clout to this UFO sighting. It certainly wasn't a drone or anything like that. Thank you again, Raphael, for taking the time. And while we're on the subject of failed submissions, uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago at this point, I had mentioned that a call I received from the state of Arkansas was too distorted to use on the air, so I implored the caller to call back in. Well, lucky us, Mark 
did just that. The following story, one that's quickly becoming one of my favorites, comes to us from the state of Arkansas. And the following is Mark's tale. Yeah, this is Mark from Arkansas calling you back. I'm the uh, one that had the story on the old car and the boxer dog. Uh, basically, what had happened is uh, I found this old car, the 69 Continental, that I, I just had to have. And I got it off of a, a guy or a family, rather, that kind of had a checkered past. And... Uh, Anyways, I, I turned it into a winter project, just something to do, get out in the garage and work on. And uh, at that time, I had uh, two boxers, uh, a male and a female. And kind of how our, our garage and everything is set up is we've got a, had a back door going out into a patio, and the, the garage set off to the left about 12 12, 15 feet. One night, uh, I went to go outside and just tinker around on that old car. And the dogs always would go out with me. But on this occasion, they just so happened to come out the door first. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, I see something, uh, just a shadow of something. It had to been big and tall. I don't, I don't know, but it was running across the back side of my garage. And so I thought, well, somebody's trying to break into my garage, you know. And uh, I took off running at it, but the dogs already had seen it too, and they, they had beat me by at least 10 foot and were chasing this shadow around the corner. Now, to kind of give you a layout, our, we had about a half-acre yard and had a four-foot-tall chain-link fence going all the way around it and I couldn't have been more than one or two seconds behind the shadow and the dogs were right on it and when I rounded the corner of that garage I was expecting to see somebody jumping the fence or or something and uh, I didn't see a thing there wasn't nothing flying off in the air there wasn't nothing crossing the fence. Well, the dogs were in the corner looking out towards the the road in front of our house. So I just popped the gate and thought, well, they'll go chase whoever it is. Well, the dogs didn't, they didn't want, they wouldn't leave the, the yard. They just kept smelling the air and the ground and their hair was all bristled up and they were growling. And I don't know if you know much about boxers, but they're super friendly. But whatever this was, I had them acting really aggressive and protective. And uh, to kind of back this story up, I'd had this car in that garage for three or four months. And every time I, I'd, well, not every time, but sometimes when I was out there at night working on this thing in the garage, I always kind of felt like there was, there was somebody watching me or something. It just made the hair on the, the back of my neck stand up, but... Anyways, uh, not long after that, I'd got rid of the car. I hadn't had anything happen since, but uh, on a side note, uh, I am a Christian, so I, I won't get on a uh, religious 
rant, but I do believe this evil stuff is out there. And whether you believe or not, I hate to hear people getting afraid of seeing something. But uh, I just dare anybody, uh, if they see something like that scary, just call out the name of Jesus and watch what happens. But I love your show. Thanks for uh, letting me tell my story. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for retelling your story. I don't know what it is about this particular tale, but I love it. There's not even a lot that takes place here. Mark saw something. Mark and his dogs chased something. He had some odd feelings. But there's just something visceral about it. You know, it may be because it seems to be attached to a vehicle. And I can't speak for the rest of the world, but most of the listeners here in the U.S. that are of age has a vehicle. Has something that they drive every single day. Something that becomes part of them for hours at a time. And I think it's that connection that puts this story above a lot of others, for me at least. Because unlike a haunted house, a vehicle is something that moves around and exchanges hands quite quickly, quite often. Perhaps past memories of the Stephen King film Christine also play into my enjoyment of this particular story. Whatever it is, it certainly seems to hit home. So thank you again, Mark, for taking the time to share it. Our next call of the evening takes us back to the state of New Hampshire. The following comes to us from Tomiko. Hi, my name is Tomiko, and I'm calling from North Carolina. Um, I listen to your podcast at work. It helps me get through my day. I binge all day on it. Um, I was calling because I used to be, um, I used to work for a Christian organization, which was basically, it was a church. I worked for a church. And we had had a funeral. I was a secretary there, and there was a funeral we had for a young man uh, earlier that day. So the church had cleared out, and nobody was there but me, and my office was basically located in the fellowship hall. So as I'm sitting there and the day is going on, I hear the fire doors that lead to upstairs open and close. Now, mind you, these doors are very heavy because they're fire doors. And the doors open and close. I know no one else is in there, so I wait and I listen a little longer, and I hear a chair from the dining room, the dining table that's in the fellowship hall, chair slides out like somebody pulls a chair out. There's no one in the building but myself. So I get up and I walk out of the office and I look, and the chair is turned facing directly the direction of the office. And I was taken aback because, like I said, we had just had a funeral for a 16-year-old boy. And, it, you know, it, it, it scared me. So needless to say, I got up, got my bags, I left, and I exit the building. And I told one of my grandparents, and they were like, well, you know, when, you, when something like that happens and it's a spirit, you're supposed to tell them to go to the light. I didn't have time to tell them to go to the light. I just grabbed my bags and I went to the door. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your podcast. Have a great day. Thank you, Tomiko. Now, unfortunately, I've attended several funerals of younger people, and some of those rather recently. And I can tell you that the energy in the room during the services, the viewing, uh, basically all the 
events that take place in a traditional funeral, the, the energy is quite high, and it's draining, to be quite honest. Uh, a few hours in that room feels like a month. So the point I'm getting at here is that with all that energy and with all that uh, expelled energy, I wonder if it somehow becomes trapped in the room and manifests itself in moving objects or making sounds. Now this theory is a bit troublesome because there seems to be some intelligence behind uh, the moving of the furniture and the placement of the chairs. But as any paranormal investigator will tell you, all we can do is make educated guesses at this point. Because we certainly don't have anything definitive to go off of. Thank you again, Tomiko, for sharing your story. And I gotta say, I certainly don't blame you for wanting to leave the building. Alright, folks. This is it. Final call of the evening. The following comes to us anonymously from the state of Colorado. Hey, love the podcast. Um, I actually just found it. You know, I'm starting from the very first season, making my way up. I'm in season four now. Wanted to share a story that uh, happened to me when I was in the military. I'll say probably around 2007 uh, or eight, maybe. I was a Air Force Sergeant Military Police Station in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I worked the mid the mid shift which was usually anywhere between 5 in the evening until 5 in the morning. I was in charge of maybe about 13 other guys. And it was pretty typical for us once we got on the shift to kind of drive around, find a place to park, eat, you know, scan the radios, do whatever we're supposed to do for that night. So on this particular night, I was by myself. I drove down the main road. Uh... I was sitting on top of a helicopter pad by myself, just looking out over the city. It may have been around 1 o'clock at night. Uh, I wasn't sleepy. Um, I knew where all of my guys were at on, on our base, so pretty sure nobody was able to play any crazy tricks on me that night. Um, that's really weird now that I think about it. I had decided to get out and uh, take a piss on the other side of the truck. And when I got out, everything seemed seemed normal. Um, nothing out of place. Since it was, you know, that late at night, there weren't really any cars coming or going from the base, or weren't any really driving on the highway out in front of the base. So I get ready to relieve myself. Something tells me in my mind, I guess you can say, to turn around. Now, keeping in mind. The helo pad was kind of on top of a hill. So at the very top of this hill, it was almost cut in half, and it was it was just a cement slab. You walk to the edge of this slab, and it starts to like grade down towards uh, flat ground. So as soon as I turn around, there's it appears to be something crawling up the hill. Uh, now, being where the base was located, it was put up right up against a mountain range. Um, the base itself is inside of a mountain. Uh, the base is called NORAD. Uh, like I said, being where it is, there's always reports of bear and 
mountain lions and you know skunk turkey so we i was pretty much familiar with all the types of animals that i could possibly see but what i saw uh was nothing of the sort um as soon as i turned around i looked down towards the ground where it was sloping uphill to the heel pad and it was i don't know the closest thing that i can compare it to to give you some kind of visualization is <laughs> like a emaciated skinny zombie almost as crazy as animals um and it was solid solid white i maybe saw it for uh, i don't know five seconds so as soon as my mind registered what it was, it was just instant fright. And for those quick five seconds that I saw it, I honestly thought about pulling my side off and shooting it. But for whatever reason, I was too afraid. Uh, regardless of what position I held, it was pure instinct, get back in the vehicle and drive away. Um, but back to the description, its arms, as it was crawling up the hill, they looked like they were, the elbows at least, were high above the head. And it was almost, his head was close to the ground. So it was kind of like he was crouching down, looking at me, and like stalking me, I guess you could say. Because in the beginning, my back was towards it. Um, and for whatever reason, something told me to turn around, and that's when I saw it. Uh, as soon as I saw it, like I said, I jumped back in my vehicle, spun out drove away, um, drove maybe half a mile up the up the hill to where I could see the helipad, uh, sat there in pure disbelief. Um, I was looking down at the helipad with night vision goggles, whatever, my just my regular eyes, couldn't see nothing. Met up with one of my other patrols, did not tell them what had happened. And um, it was this was a two-man patrol. And the leader of that patrol just for no apparent reason, had asked me if I was just down at the uh, lower helo pad. I told him that, that I was. And he had proceeded to tell me that they were parked there, exact same spot, maybe a little bit after or a little before I was there. And said they were just sitting there doing just like I was doing, looking over the uh, helo pad, looking at the city lights. And they both saw something white in the rearview mirror run from behind their vehicle. Uh, they said they got freaked out. They didn't bother to get out the vehicle and check out what it was, but it was big enough that they could see it sitting in a, uh, I think it might've been a Ford uh, Explorer. Yeah, a white Ford Explorer. Those That was our patrol vehicles. It was big enough to where they could see that run past their rear end of the car in their rearview mirrors. Uh, once they told me that, then that's when I proceeded to let them know about what I had seen. Uh, I think for the rest of the night, we were all pretty, uh, freaked out because our stories kind of matched with what we saw without either one of us, um, knowing the other story beforehand. Um, and after that situation, after that occasion, I think the next day we had a base-wide um, uh, exercise. It's just where the leadership of the base, they 
run scenarios on us. I told one of my superiors what had happened, and, and you know, of course, uh, you know, some of the guys, some of the older uh, ranked members of the military, you know, they really don't believe in that type of stuff. But you know, we all kind of laughed, laughed at it. Well, they kind of laughed at it, and I told them flat out, I'm, I'm not going back down to it. Well, he looked so it was too too crazy of a situation. Never seen nothing like that. There was no way it was a mountain lion, a albino mountain lion, a deer, bear. It was nothing like that. It looked totally like something out of a Resident Evil movie. Um, and that was, you know, this incident was a long time ago. It's, it's still fresh in my mind. Um, it, it actually reminded me of a story that one of the past people in season four, a uh, young lady, she phoned it and said that she saw something to that effect. But uh, yeah, hope you can use it. Love the podcast. Keep keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you, caller, for taking the time to share that tale. Now, this one's interesting for a number of reasons. For starters, it's unlike anything I've ever heard. Almost. Of course, if you think about it, there's the rake, Slender Man, the Wendigo and even skinwalkers. They all seem to fit the same description. Gangly, scrawny, white. But none of that really helps us put a label on what this thing is. Now the fact that this took place in Colorado does lend a bit of credibility toward it being some sort of skinwalker type creature. After all, the origin of the skinwalker legend does come from the west and southwest. Now the other aspect of this call that makes it highly interesting is the fact that Our caller was a military police officer. I never served in the military, but I have had some experience with MPs, and I can tell you that typically, most military police are highly dependable people. So the fact that our caller is claiming this, and going out on a limb, despite the fact that he's actually keeping his name anonymous, but he's still going out on a limb to share this story. To me, that certainly says something. I don't think we'll ever know exactly what it is that he and his partner saw that evening. But I can tell you, whatever it was, it was most likely up to no good. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share that tale. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Pon Abbott, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And music for this episode was provided by Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
Thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. I have two written submissions for you today. A long one, a short one, but they both cover the exact same subject. Our first written submission was sent in by Brandon in the state of West Virginia. Hi, Derek. I discovered your podcast a few weeks ago after seeing you on Paranormal Caught on Camera, and I was excited to find this. I've been looking for a podcast like this for years. I wanted to share with you this experience I had back in the fall of 2007. We had just moved in with my aunt after my parents had to sell our old house. We were in a difficult spot. I spent a lot of time in the woods just to get away from the stress, and I always took a gun with me. I also have a fair amount of experience hunting, so I know what lives in the woods here. This day was dry because I can remember the leaves and twigs crunching quite loudly under my feet. But I wasn't hunting, so it didn't matter to me. I stopped to lean on a tree and text somebody when I heard all the squirrels suddenly go to the tops of the trees and start barking. That usually means a predator is nearby. So I raised the shotgun to my shoulder because you never know what could happen. It was a few seconds later and a deer bolted across the ridgeline around the curve of the hill. My eyes stayed on that deer because I was curious as to why they did that. I thought maybe it was me. Then I saw this black shape following behind it. Now at first I thought it was a black bear. I've seen those several times before and they will usually leave you alone unless they think you have food or they have a cub. So I kept my eye trained on it. It walked out from behind a group of trees and I see this huge tail hanging low behind it. My brain started to overload from me trying to determine whether or not it was a house cat. But it was just much too large. I've been hunting through these trees many times so I know how large they are and from that I can say the creature was massive. I would say 12 feet from nose to tail. It turned its head at me once then turned it again and started sulking after the deer. Also a strange thing I noticed was that I never heard it coming. Never heard a twig snap or leaf rustle the entire time that it was walking. I told some of my friends about that at school the next day and one of them told me the very calm face and tone that it didn't surprise him because he knows of a family of quote-unquote panthers that live about a mile from there and kids on ATVs see and hear them quite often. I remember he showed me a blurry picture on a flip phone of a black object in the woods but you couldn't really make out what it was. I told my wife that I'd like to get a decent camera and go back and investigate because it's something that has been on my mind ever since. I'm certain if a large team of people came in here with the right equipment that they would find something. Thank you for your time, Brandon. And not to be outdone, one other story. The following comes to us from Richard in the state of Iowa. Hi Derek, this is Richard from Sioux City, Iowa. I just saw a strange cat near my house. My dad and brother saw it first behind our house on the edge of a little wooded area. They told me which direction it was headed and I was able to get a look at it when it was about 200 feet away. Its fur was black and my brother said it looked like a cross between a lynx and a house cat. This cat was big. I'm guessing it was about the size of a bobcat which is a subspecies of the lynx. I'm not sure what it was exactly. It could have been a bobcat with a black coat or maybe it was a crossbreed of a house cat and some sort of lynx. Either way, thanks for your time, Richard. Well, thank you both for your stories. And as a witness of one of these ABCs, or alien black cats, 
I can tell you that it certainly eats at you. My experience happened over 30 years ago, and it's still all I can think about. There's something about these creatures that gets into your head. They're not so whimsical. They're not dragons or Bigfoot or chupacabras. They're simply large black cats. Animals that can be found in numerous continents around the world, just not ours. So perhaps it's that familiarity that makes them a bit special to us. Then again, it may simply just be a call of the wild situation where it excites us to know that danger and mystery lurk just beyond the tree line. Thank you again to you both for submitting your stories. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To get behind the wheel. To go out on the open road. To feel a rush of adrenaline. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes an exhilarating experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.